This is an Arizona Sports Special. Arizona Sports. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wait a minute, it's not Saturday. It's Monday, right? Steve, help me out here. What's the calendar? I can't keep track anymore. It is Monday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And 98.7 FM, Mitch and Steve, we're back. They stole us away from a Saturday. They put us on a Monday, July 3rd. We have holiday today, tomorrow. So we got got an awesome slate today, Steve. I don't know if you've seen it. So it's you and I until 12. So we get two hours of us. Good start. And then you you don't get to leave. Oh, I don't? Oh, you're okay. stuck here. All right. But you're going to be joined by your co-host of Ain't No Fang, Alex Weiner. Talk some baseball. You guys yeah. are going to talk D-backs for an hour, a little podcast to broadcast going on there. But it doesn't stop there, Steve. Oh, it does Because after you're done, we have our State of the Sun Devils pod for an hour. And I heard that they have a very special guest today at 1.15. So you might want to tune okay. in then. And then at 2, we've got Cardinals Corner. Coming on. Certainly a lot to talk about there. Yeah, plenty. Plenty Plenty to talk talk about. You got Buda Baker's issue and all that stuff. And then from three until five, you have our Empire of the Suns team breaking down everything in Suns. Good. I'm interested to hear what they have to say about some of these uh, moves that the Suns have made over the last couple of days. Me too. Good for them, too, that basically the Suns have uh, finished up free agency before they got a chance to talk about it. Oh, yeah. No, because, I mean, it's funny. Kellen Olsen and I were doing the Wolf and Luke show on Friday, and we kept telling people, like, I don't think they're going to make too many moves early (laughs) because most of their guys were probably going to be veteran minimum. All of them ended up being that. And that meant that most of those guys were probably going to want to at least check out the rest of the market and see what other teams were willing to pay them if they could get the mid-level exception somewhere else or the biannual somewhere else. But all these guys jumped on board really, really quick with the Suns. Yeah, it's going to be a good day, a bunch of podcasts to broadcast today, and that's going to cover you until 5 p.m. today. So plenty of Arizona sports content today. We're, of course, going to start with the Phoenix Suns, Steve, because yesterday, okay, let's be honest. When we were talking on Saturday... We had it in our minds that maybe the Suns are done. They had signed six guys to vet minimum deals. Maybe they can get flexible and they can move Tamani Kamara to a two-way deal and they can sign someone else. Well, guess what, Steve? They signed to someone else. They did it. And I think this one, and I'm talking about Eric Gordon, has to be the most exciting one of the bunch so far. Doesn't it kind of feel like Eric Gordon's been on the Suns? Yeah. like It kind uh, of feels like he's uh, been around for a while. Yeah, like uh, back in, uh, what was it, 2012 when he signed a four-year max offer sheet and then all of a sudden he wasn't a Phoenix Sun? Yeah, didn't they like have a press conference or like they were getting ready for one or something? <laughs> There's the infamous picture of... The conference room, and they have the nice little poster board yeah. of "Welcome to Phoenix, Aaron Gordon," and then New Orleans signed the so, offer sheet. Here's my initial reaction: A, Eric Gordon, great shooter. We all know that. Uh, another guy who can bring the ball up. I really like that because we talked with Kellen on Saturday and said, "Hey, if they were to somehow create an extra roster spot, is there anything else that they still should go and do?" And I, if memory serves, I think Kellen even might have brought up Eric Gordon. What can can you even get that guy for the veteran minimum? We didn't know that yet. 
And uh, this is the perfect fit because he's a guy who brings more shooting, mm-hmm. which is something that they did bring in a little bit of. Watanabe, one of the better spot-up shooters in the league, really good from the corners. Uh, you brought back Damian Lee, certainly a really good shooter as well. Now Eric Gordon in the mix. This is three really good shooters that are going to fill different roles on this team. I feel really comfortable about that. And we talked about it's an extra ball handler because before you brought Eric Gordon into the mix, you had campaigns contract was guaranteed you have Booker you have Beal you have Durant and really those are your four guys that are going to do the primary ball handling you bring in Eric Gordon who can do a little bit of that as well there might even be a conversation around does Eric Gordon start next to some of these guys I like this conversation only because you really don't know who the fifth starter is going to be and the Suns kind of have a roster where they can be flexible with who their fifth starter is we saw in bunches after the Durant trade was made that jo- and he had been coming on into that spot anyway because of injury. But Josh Okogie was getting a lot of reps in that three slash four spot. I guess it would technically be a three spot. And he played admirably, like not just defensively, which we know him to be, but offensively, too. The Eric Gordon factor that you can put into this allows you to. Go small, but really it's not as small as you think it is because Eric Gordon's got a good wingspan. And then you've still got Durant at the four and Aiton at the five, so you're really tall in your front court. And then your back court at least has length and good builds. Like, Booker's not weak. Booker's a strong dude. Bradley Beal's not weak. Beal's a strong dude. Eric Gordon's not weak. Gordon's a strong dude. This is kind of a formidable lineup, and this might actually be that final five minutes lineup that we see. Yeah, and to your point about being flexible with the lineup, because there are a lot of guys in this mix now that have position flexibility. I mean, is Keita Bates-Diop a three or a four? The answer is yes. Or even a five. Is Eric Gordon a one or a two? The answer is yes. Or even a three. Uh, Is Metu a four or a five? Yes. I mean, that's the cool thing about this, right, is that they don't necessarily have a lineup of three traditional centers. They've got Aiton's a center, they've got Eubanks as a center, and then Metu can kind of go both ways. By the way, I watched on Twitter uh, a Twitter thread today of kind of like highlights of Metu, and you got to take highlights with a grain of salt, right? It's all the good stuff. That's why, no, that's why they're called highlights. Right, yeah, there's no bad stuff in a highlight <laughs> thread. Um, but watching some of the athleticism that Metu brings, I got really excited about Chemezi because he does bring some things to the table that I don't think they had in their rotation at all last year, and in terms of athleticism specifically. Um, pretty good offensive player, too. He's got a great arsenal that I think is going to only improve when playing with guys like Aiton and Durant that he can feed off of. Um yeah, man, I love this Eric Gordon sign. He's one of the better catch-and-shoot guys in the league. We've known that for a long time. He's shooting over 45% from the corners. This is the kind of player that, at the end of the game, if you need a bucket, you can stick him out there with your starting, your big four, let's call them. Mm-hmm. And you could put him out there and play a little bit smaller and stick him in a corner, and he's probably going to get some open looks. I, I love it. I think it's perfect. Um, now, I guess the question is, if they were to create another roster spot to do something, and I hate to get greedy at this point because they've already signed seven guys. No, I like greed. Greed's fun. Uh, but if we want to go there for a second, uh, I think, if I'm doing the math right, the only way they could add another roster spot is if they made one of their players a two-way or cut somebody. Yeah. Isaiah Todd comes to mind. He was a throw-in in the Bradley Beal deal. He's... I think he's like 21 years old or something like that. He's super young. He's like two years removed. Very, Yeah, very raw, but very gifted player. Um, but we don't know what role he would play necessarily. He's not 
amazing at any one thing, which most of these players seem to be. Could they waive him and try to bring him back on a two-way? That's possible, which would open up another roster spot. And then it begs the question, what would you use it on? I think I I could do with another 3 and D wing guy. There's not a lot of those out there. No, because the, the veterans the minimum signed them all. Well, they got a, they got at least. I love <laughs> D up. Kate's uh, Kate Bates D up. I think is perfect for that role. Yes. If you could somehow go out and get Tory Craig back for the minimum, that one's a if his market's to me. not there. Because didn't they have early bird rights on him? I think they do. So they had the opportunity to sign him back and not not have it impact their salary all that much. So they had the option to bring him back, and given that they've signed seven guys within the first three days of free agency, don't you think we would have heard a little bit more about it by now? Well, if he goes out and finds out that his market isn't what he wanted it to be, nobody else wants to bring him in to be a starter, nobody wants to pay him the mid-level to be a bench guy, then maybe he looks at the Suns differently, and he's certainly got a lot of... uh, continuity to him if you want to bring him back. We I mean, talked about they brought back, what, Damian Lee and Josh Akogi. Yeah. They could bring back Tory Craig. They have a qualifying out there, a two-way qualifying offer out there, I should say, for Saban Lee. So it sounds like they at least want him back if he's willing to come back, because he's now a restricted free agent, too. But I guess to your point, if we're sticking with 3 and D and we're sticking with Craig, I feel like if they wanted him, they would have tried a lot harder early on. Because I don't know... Do we know that they didn't? Well, nothing has been out there reporting wise. All the reporting that's been out there from Gambo and all the other national writer or the other national uh, insiders on this have emphasized that they were looking at veterans minimums, but not necessarily older veterans, younger veterans. Tory Craig is not a younger veteran anymore. Neither Torrey, is Eric Gordon. Tory Craig. Well, he's the exception, as it turns out. But 12, see, I think twelve years in the making for Eric Gordon. It turns out. I think what you're talking about is what they did on day one. When when Gambo reported, they're not going to fill out the roster with a bunch of old dudes. They're going to get younger, more athletic uh, guys that want to prove themselves on veterans deals. Metu, like we talked about, mm-hmm. Eubanks, we talked about, Bates Diop, we talked about. I think they did that on day one. Now they're looking at it like, okay, now we've got a bunch of dudes, as you mentioned on Saturday, they're all under, what, 29 years old? So now you look at your roster and you're like, if we could add one more thing it's okay with us if it's a guy who's 32 years old like Tory Craig. It's okay if it's Eric Gordon, who I haven't checked his age, but uh, born he's in 1988, there. so he's 34. So I think they'd be okay with that if they could get a Tory Craig. It just depends on what his market is or if that's even the player that they want to target. It'll be interesting to see what else they do. I think, I think for us to prematurely say the Suns are done is, as I said, premature. I'm sure there is something else that Phoenix would like to do before this offseason is done. And Kellen Olsen wrote a story about it yesterday, specifically focusing on Eric Gordon. But he touched on other options the Suns have this offseason. They can have up to 20 players through the offseason, but they'll have to whittle it down to, I think the number is, what, 16, 15, something like that, before the season starts. So they have the flexibility to bring in other guys before the season actually gets started. Maybe they find one they like better than these seven that they immediately brought in through free agency. Sure. And we've still got Summer League, and not that Summer League players often turn into rotational players. They usually don't. But I think of a guy like P.J. Tucker back in the day who they signed to a Summer League deal, and he impressed so much that he ends up becoming a starter for the Phoenix Suns. Granted, at a time when they were not 
uh, a big three or big four in this case, I guess. They were not a playoff contender, but uh, yeah, no, there's still a lot of time. I would anticipate that they're probably done unless mm-hmm. they somehow convert one of these guys into a two-way or they end up waving Isaiah Todd maybe. But uh, for the most part, you got to be pretty happy with what they were able to accomplish. I mean, there's no major hole here. No, but at the same no, time, there's no major hole. But again, they just signed seven dudes to vet minimums. Yeah. There's a reason that they're signed to vet minimums. That's the thing. So here's what I hate. Yesterday, I'm on Twitter. I'm viewing my 600 tweets that I'm allowed every day, <laughs> and I keep seeing from Suns fans this this bravado about what they've accomplished in the last couple of days. Well, there's no doubt that the Suns are the favorite in the West now. No, come on, really? Come on. I see that everywhere right now. Hmm. Look at the depth we built. And I'm like, on paper, yeah, it's great. I love this. I, I think what they did is a, is a masterpiece. But we, we don't know until they set foot on the court what this team is. We think they're going to be pretty good. We don't know that yet. Come on. Diamondbacks, for the first time since 2018, have accomplished something big. We'll tell you what it is next on Arizona Sports Saturday on a Monday here on Arizona Sports. Mitch and Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. This is an Arizona sports special. The 1-2. Fletcher swings and misses, and he's down on strikes. So Gallon finishes the day with a dozen strikeouts, including each of the last two, and we go to the eighth. Bit of a weird outing. Zach Gallon dominated in some ways, didn't in other ways. Uh, an interesting time for the Diamondbacks. So Zach Allen obviously goes now. He's probably going to pitch, by my estimation, on that Saturday before the All-Star game, which is important. Well, yeah, hold on. Let's not bury the lead here. Zach Allen is an All-Star. Zach Allen's going to be an All-Star. Not just him, either. Lourdes Gurriel is going to be an All-Star. We already know about Corbin Carroll. We knew about Corbin Carroll. He's starting in the outfield. Did you know the last time that they had three All-Stars was 2018? Okay, hold on. Let me do it. Uh, Goldie uh-huh. would have been an all-star. Uh, wasn't Marte, right? Nope. Because he was 19. Marte was a year later, yeah. He was 19. Okay, Goldie. Granky. Yep. One more. Oh. This one's probably going to be forgotten to time, unfortunately. I don't have it. It's not JD. He was 2017, and that was after the all-star break. That is correct. Um, I don't know. I don't have it. Patrick Corbin. Corbin? Yeesh. <laughs> then he got uh I'm more so trying to remember where 2018 was held. And then 19, he goes to Washington. They win a championship. He gets paid a bunch of money, and he hasn't been very yeah, good Yeah, now, now that contract's kind of beating um, in the butt a bit. But yeah. Okay, so three All-Stars. Uh, it's, it's funny, because there are some other guys that I think probably deserve to go to the game. Maybe even more so than some of the others. You ready to do this now? I got to... I got a whole list of Diamondbacks I wish were All-Stars this year. You're just going to name all the guys on the team? Basically. Okay, go ahead. Who got, who should have got in? Cattell Marte. Let's start there. Like, what are we doing here? The, the guy's having a bounce-back year. He probably could have been starting this game at second base. And yet, here we are staring at, basically, the Atlanta Braves All-Stars for this Midsummer Classic. Because they got Ozzy Albies, they've got Orlando Arcia, they've got Austin Riley, they've got Matt Olson, they've got Sean Murphy, they got two pitchers. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, so Marte is hitting 30 points higher when it comes to batting average. He's on base 
50 points higher, 58 points higher than Albies. Uh, WRC Plus is plus 24 over Albies. He's got 15 home runs, 44 RBIs, which does not compare to Albies, but Albies plays on the much better team, in my opinion. And the Diamondbacks are still a first-place team, by the way. They're the second-best team in the National League. F-War, he's got 2.3 over Albies, 1.8. Yeah, he, he should be in over Ozzy Albies. I would agree with you on that. Probably not over Luisa Rise, who's doing things that nobody's no, done he's hitting since like 400. <laughs> nobody's done this since like 19, what, 41? He should not be in over Arias, but Cattell Marte should be going to the All Star. And, and I don't want to discredit Ozzy Albies because Ozzy Albies is very much having an All Star caliber season, but to discredit Cattell Marte in the sense it's. It's very frustrating. We're allowed to get picky here. He's gone from 2019 starter. He had a meh 2020. He's been dealing with injuries the past few years. And then he had that really down 2022 last year where in the spring training, I remember Tori Lovello had told this station several times that they really charged Cattell Marte with trying to get his body right, getting in shape. And it is paying massive dividends. Like, he is a key reason next to Corbin Carroll as to why this team is as good as it is. They've been hoping to get 2019 Cattell Marte back for a while. A guy who was an all-star, as we mentioned, fourth in MVP voting that year. One of the best players in the game of baseball. He hit 32 home runs that season. The next highest that he has in any season in his career is this season with 15. (laughs) So it's it's stuff like that that tells you uh, enough about Cattell Marte. We know the caliber of player he can be, and he is that player over the last month and a half or so. Mm -hmm. He got hot at the right time, too. Not the right time to get voted in as a starter, but enough to get in, get in, and he didn't get in. And that's kind of a bummer. That's what makes it the most of a bummer. And I'm not going to yell at the players because the players have a vote in this too, and they deserve their right to vote who gets in. I'm very curious where Cattell Marte ended up in the players' vote in all this. Because you have to imagine there was a lot of love for the Braves. I mean, they're sending their entire infield, one of their outfielders, and two of their starting pitchers. Yeah. You have to imagine there was a lot of love for the Braves this year. Not just from the fans, of course, but from the players. I'm very curious to see how the players voted for Marte. We'll never get to see it. But you have to wonder, what are they paying attention to when they're making this vote? And was it even closer than we're giving it credit for, and we just don't know? The other one is Geraldo Perdomo. Certainly not a household name at this point, but because of the lack of production at the shortstop position, especially, Specifically in the National League, look at all the big names there are. Francisco Lindor, who has a ton of RBIs this season, but it's hitting like 220. Xander Bogarts goes to San Diego. Hasn't been amazing. Dansby Swanson, he gets in, but he hasn't been that good with the Cubs this season. Orlando Arcia, a guy that most people probably don't even know. Uh, he's with the Braves. He mm-hmm. gets in. It's another Brave that doesn't make sense to me. Perdomo is probably the better player this season than Arcia, without a doubt. But should he have gotten in over Dansby Swanson? I think there's an argument to be made there. Now, Dansby Swanson's probably the better player, and certainly more people know about him. And ironically, he is a former Diamondback in in a lot of ways. Um, But I think Perdomo has an argument to have been there in a year where we had such a down year for shortstops in the National League. I think what hurt Perdomo, and it's nothing that he did wrong or anything, but I think what hurt Perdomo is just the lack of consistent playing time, right? 
You think about Dansby Swanson, he was playing mostly every single game. Orlando Arcia was named the starter out of spring training over a, a really good young prospect in Vaughn Grissom that really shocked a lot of Braves fans, but Arcia has very much held his own this year. And then to your point about all the other mainstays that are all-star shortstops, they've had very down years. This is an opportunity to give a weakened position a very nice, refreshing name. Now, and if Perdomo... Not- Instead of 208 at-bats, which he's currently sitting at, if he has 300 at-bats like uh, Christian Walker or Cattell Marte... And kept the same level of production. Right. An on-base percentage of 389, a batting average of 284. I mean, he's got nine stolen bases as well, which for a guy who's not particularly fast is pretty impressive. He's sneaky. That is a an all-star caliber shortstop if he does it over a bigger period of at-bats. And it's funny, too, because you have to think in the back of his mind... Oh, there's the longest-tenured Diamondback, Nick Ahmed, that I'm fighting for positional time with. Oh, they've got this super awesome shortstop prospect in Jordan Lawler who's killing it in A right now and is probably on the fast track to making the majors, who knows, by September this year. Is he still in A? I think so, yeah. Okay. The point being is that Perdomo probably felt a lot of pressure, especially after last year where he hit below 200 for a majority of the year in a year where they really needed production out of that shortstop spot. This has been an awesome bounce-back year for Perdomo offensively, and I think he should have been rewarded for it, and he wasn't. Yeah, it's fair. And Zach Allen getting in, I love that. Um, It does beg the question, does Merrill Kelly deserve to be in that conversation? Because Merrill Kelly, in a lot of ways, has been almost as good as Gallon. Now, I'm not saying he's the better player or even that they're on the same level necessarily, but he's produced at a similar level. I know he's injured right now. He's got the uh, the blood clot in his leg, so he's dealing with his own personal stuff, so the All-Star game might be back of mind, but sure. just the, the thought of him getting recognized in that way would have been really fantastic to see. Christian Walker is probably the most debatable because... This one's just unfortunate. While I think he's having an All-Star caliber year... It's just not as good as four other starting first basemen in the National League. They're all better than him, and I'm okay with that. You could even argue that three of the first basemen, one of them shouldn't even be there. But he is there because the Mets needed somebody to be there. Pete Alonso? I'm not going to knock the Alonso season, but when you compare him to, like, Paul Goldschmidt didn't get to go this year, Christian Walker didn't get to go this year, there's a lot of talented first base that are first basemen I cannot talk But how many can you put in the game? Exactly. Like, if you put five first basemen who don't play any other positions, how many of them are going to get the chance to play? Especially with guys like Otani being a DH in the American League. Uh, Who's the DH in the National League? J.D. Martinez. Mm -hmm. Like, with those guys in the lineup, too, how many first basemen would even play? There's a lot of intricacies with how the All-Star Game roster voting works now. Especially because the National League has the DH. Especially because there's a lot of guys that fluctuate between positions. And there's... A discrepancy to some individuals, like, why is this person at this position on the ballot? Like, respectfully, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a DH for the Diamondbacks. He's played in the outfield, but he's a designated hitter for the Diamondbacks. Right. I'm not saying that should change whether or not he's in or not, but I think there's a bit of a discrepancy positionally that kind of affects how the voting works. Coming up next, the big news in the NBA, not Suns-related, but could have ramifications across the NBA landscape. Damian Lillard wants out of Portland. We all just assumed it was a done deal that he's going to Miami. But that might not be the case. We'll tell you why next. 
This is an Arizona Sports Special. Mitch and Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. Arizona Sports on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. That's us. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. we got Jesse Morrison behind the glass keeping us company as well. Here in the Akchin Community Studios on this July 3rd Monday. Special programming here on Arizona Sports all day up until 5 p.m. tonight. So be sure to tune in. You've got Steve and I, and then after Steve is done, after I'm done with you, I'm going to replace you with someone else. (laughs) Get an hour of Diamondbacks talk, and then after that, an hour of ASU talk. Got an hour of Cardinals talk, and then we're going to close with two hours of Suns talk. So it's a really full packed local sports day. Nice here on this holiday Monday. So, of course, the biggest news going on in the NBA right now it doesn't have anything to do with the Suns, or does it? Damian Lillard, of course, has requested a trade out of Portland, which, of course, would lead to Portland being a weaker team. But it means that wherever Dame ends up, it makes them a stronger team and another threat to the Suns in their chase for their first ever title. It's less so, of course, if they're in the East, but to get to Larry, you have to beat whoever the best team is in the East. And if that best team in the East has Dame... Does that concern you if you're the Phoenix Suns? Uh, I'm certainly concerned for the Suns if he ended up in the West somewhere, but not the East. I, 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 I don't have enough attention span to worry about the East. I, I think you're so concerned about the West, which appears to be getting better and better every year. So uh, on the one hand, it's good because it makes uh, Portland a little less frightening, but they weren't much to begin with. So here's what's most intriguing about the Damian Lillard thing. Because when he initially asked for the trade, what was that, just Saturday, a few days ago? Yeah. It was reported, I think it was ESPN, that reported that he wanted to go to Miami specifically. And that Portland was going to try to make a trade work with him. They were going to accommodate him. That word accommodate, what does it mean? Does it mean Mm -hmm. we're going to accommodate you by sending you to the Miami Heat? Or we're going to accommodate you by trading you? And we figure out what's best for us because there is this huge difference between doing what's best for Dame and what's best for the organization. And you hope that you can somehow meet in the middle, do a deal that makes sense for you as an organization to move forward, whether that's getting back an all star caliber player or a a good cast of characters that you think you can build around for the future, plus draft compensation. Or do you just want to blow it all up and trade him for as many picks as you possibly can, but maybe get a really good player in return. I think about the Kevin Durant deal where Brooklyn gets Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, but they get a ton of picks as well. Is that trade out there? And is the Heat, are they offering something like that? Because right now Portland is trying to put out there, it feels like two days later they're, they're putting out this message of, by the way, we're not just dealing with the Miami Heat here. Brian Winthorst on ESPN this morning said, we're open to business with anybody. That's the right thing to do if you're Portland. You want to make sure that it's clear, like, hey, this is not just we're only talking to the Miami Heat. If you've got something that you could throw us on the table, if you want this multi-time all-star, this multi-time all-NBA player, this top 75 in history player, if you want that guy on your team, show us what you've got. We're listening. We're not just sitting here and talking with Pat Riley about what we're going to do moving forward with Damian Lillard. We will talk to you, Daryl Morey, up in Philadelphia. We will talk to uh, you, Brad Stevens, up in Boston. We will talk to you, Steve Ballmer and Lawrence Frank, down with the Clippers. 
It's the right thing to do because if you shrink your market, then you shrink what your market is going to offer you. And you bid against yourself. Exactly. If you're only talking, we, we talked about this on Saturday. If you go to the Miami Heat and say, we want to make this happen, let, let's do a deal. And you try to get it done as quick as possible, as Kendrick Perkins put it. We got to get this done. I got other stuff to do this weekend. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, to your point, you're bidding against yourself if you just talk to the Heat. How often does a trade of this magnitude come along? Not often. I know it's it's kind of hilarious to say that now because we just had the Durant deal back in February. Right. Um, but they don't come around all that often. And I know that big star players ask for trades all the time. I mean, between Harden, Irving, and Durant, they've got seven in the last two years. Or how about Bradley Beal, which happened just Bradley a few Beal. weeks ago? Right. So it feels like star players move all the time. But Dame is different. Dame can, can get you that haul. And reportedly, the... Blazers are interested in getting good players, draft compensation, and salary cap relief. All three of those in one trade. You look at the Bradley Beal trade, what did they get? They got draft some draft compensation, they second got round picks. Second round picks, those don't count. But I'm it sorry. was mostly cap relief. Of course. If you're lucky in a trade right now, you get one of those three things. Picks, players, cap relief. You get one of those things if you're lucky. The Trailblazers are looking to get all three for Damian Lillard. So that's what makes this a little bit more complicated. I think in the end, it'll still be a bidding war. Whereas, do you remember when the first rumor came out about Kevin Durant requesting a trade? And it was like, Kevin Durant has listed the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. But that's not to say other teams aren't trying. And we got the Boston element to the rumors, right? Right. You even had the Lakers element to the rumors about could they get Kyrie Irving if Kevin Durant leaves, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on. But then there was the second time around with the Durant rumors, right? Where he very much kept it under the rug. He said, all right, I'll give it a shot. But if I come back and I still want out, I don't want to make a big fuss out of this. I just want it to be Phoenix and that's it. You remember that? Yeah. And that really hamstrung the Suns in a sense because Brooklyn ended up having all the leverage because it's like, hey, this guy really wants to come to you. But... We know that you have exactly what we want in order to get this done. Cam Johnson, Mikael Bridges. We really want Jay Crowder so that we can flip him into something else. And we want a good chunk of your draft capital for years to come. And it kind of left the Suns with nothing else to do because they had just gotten a new owner who looked at it as the, are you bleeping kidding me? We can get Kevin Durant. Let's go get Kevin Durant. And got Kevin Durant. Yeah, what's keeping us from doing this? Who is that team that's out there that's going to be stuck forcing their hand for Damian Lillard? I don't know if there is that team. I've got so many other interesting teams in mind. I, I know that you and I, we kind of shot down a few of them very quickly on Saturday just because we thought the Miami thing was going to happen. But i got to be honest with you. I mean, if the Trailblazers are looking to blow it up, like they just brought back Jeremy Grant, who's a fine player, but... Probably not worth what they paid him, but they did that to help convince Dame to stay, and, and it didn't it, work. And it only worked so much. It, it didn't work. Right. Because here we are a couple days later, and Dame's like, ah, no, nope, not good enough. I'm, I'm good. leaving. Which is kind of a jerk move to be like, hey, put good pieces around me. And then they put a couple pieces in, and he's like, eh, no thanks. Well, remember, everybody thought that Kevin Durant just wanted Kyrie to come back. And it Kyrie wasn't enough. opted in, and then Kevin's like, nope, I want out. It's true. It's true. And so... If they're going to blow it up in Portland, like really blow it up, then why not 
talk to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have a ton of picks over the next couple of years? Why not talk to the San Antonio Spurs, who also have some draft capital and good young players to give you? That, Why not talk to the 76ers about uh, whether it's a package centered around James Harden and getting him a new place to play, or if it's something else? I, there's so many options available to them. The San Antonio one intrigues me a lot. Because remember, we had talked about that, or it had been talked about at least on this station, about that being a potential Chris Paul sneaky destination. Like before he got traded to Washington and then eventually rerouted to the Warriors. Like it was discussed that Chris Paul could be that veteran point guard who helps bring up Victor Wimbanyama and then maybe even surprises everybody and gets the Spurs into a, you know, a seven seed or an eight seed or even a play in seed and they win out. Could the same be said about Dame Lillard? Only this time, San Antonio would have to give up significantly more? Well, there's two things that draw you to the Spurs. Well, maybe three. One being that they're just a really well-run organization. But the big two things are Victor Wembenyama, who most people are considering the best NBA prospect since LeBron James. And the other thing is playing for Pop. A guy that most players in the league, most of the big names, they respect him. They've played with him, uh, Team USA basketball, other things. So those are the two draws. And if you're Dame, while you don't consider the Spurs the immediate contenders that the Miami Heat are, look at it this way. If you could go back, I don't know who the Dame equivalent would have been in 2003, but if you could have convinced a star player like Dame to go to Cleveland and say, you can pair up with the next big thing, which is LeBron coming in, somebody probably would have jumped at that in retrospect. Maybe Like looking back. Allen Iverson. AI. Somebody like that, right? Like if you could have convinced them to go and be like, just pair up with this kid. We don't know what he is yet, but we think he's going to be special. Tell me somebody wouldn't jump on that. Hindsight being twenty twenty, Get a head start on that rebuild and just become a playoff team again. It's almost not even a rebuild at that point. Right. Because you just have that much faith in the young kid. So that could be appealing to somebody like Dame. Plus you get to play for Greg Popovich, one of the best coaches in NBA history. So I think there's an appeal to that. Some people like to play for good coaches, so I've heard. Oh, totally. I still don't think Philadelphia's out of it, by the way. Brian Windhorst said today that they are not trading Tyrese Maxey, which is the opposite of what he said two days ago. That makes things a little difficult, doesn't it? (laughs) But yeah, if it was somehow a James Harden package, I don't know if Portland wants to give that a try. Somebody's going to try James Harden. Coming up next, was Eric Gordon the last piece that the Suns needed? And if so, what does that make their rotation look like? We'll talk about that next here on this Arizona Sports Saturday special on Arizona Sports. And Steve from Arizona Sports Saturday on the local sports leader. This is an Arizona Sports Special. The Phoenix Suns are reportedly adding Eric Gordon about 10 years late. <laughs> they got him, baby. They got, they got him. him. Uh, Eric Gordon, we all know Eric Gordon by now, right? 34-year-old guard. He is probably going to be one of five primary ball handlers for this team. He's an incredible shooter, uh, a catch-and-shoot guy. You could put him in the corner where I was seeing earlier he shoots over 45%. Um, This is a good depth ad, another good depth ad, because we talked about how the Suns went bargain bin shopping on day one of NBA free agency and went out and got... Guys who are really good in specific roles. A wing defender in Keita Bates-Diop, in Josh Akogi, shooters in Eric Gordon, Damian Lee, uh, Yuta Watanabe. Um, they go out and get some athletic young bigs. Drew uh, Eubanks, a really good rim protector. 
Chemezi Metu, who's a really athletic guy and can jump out of the gym. This is starting to shape up to be a really good roster. Kellen Olson with Arizona Sports. He published a piece yesterday in the news of the Eric Gordon signing. And I love that he referred back to a James Jones reference in the very first uh, paragraph of the article. He says, Phoenix Suns president of basketball ops and GM James Jones said in the past his vision for a roster is an index card. Three by five. Three deep. I held up the wrong fingers to you. I apologize. Three well, deep, this is radio, so three it's okay. deep at five positions. Yeah. That's basically what it is. You've got Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, and campaign at point. Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, Damian Lee at shooting guard. Small forward, you have Josh Kogi, Kata Bates, Diop, and Ish Wainwright. Yeah. Kevin Durant, Yuta Watanabe, Isaiah Todd. And then Aiton Eubanks and Chemezi Metu. Yeah, and some of those guys fit different positions, too, so you could kind of rotate them a it little bit. It almost reminds me of the Diamondbacks, who were getting players who could play multiple positions so they could put them anywhere and keep them in the lineup yeah. on a day-to-day basis. You know what's funny about that, though? They did that for a couple of years, right? You, like, yeah. you go get a Josh Rojas, and it's like, well, he could play left field, he could play right field, he could play third, he could play second, he could play short every now and then. Uh, they did the same thing with Cattell Marte, bouncing him between short, then center field, then second base, then center field again. Yeah, uh, They did that, and while it was cool at the time, now you look at the when they're having the most success right now, and it's when they decided to put those pieces <laughs> in place and just leave them there. <laughs> and so on that level, I, uh, I guess that's kind of interesting. Don't get my hopes down about this Suns team already. I, I think the thing with Eric Gordon, the reason that this hasn't, happened sooner that it because i feel like it's been rumored what every year for the last 10 years so he opted out of what 28 to stay with the clippers right i don't remember i'm pretty sure that was a player option he opted out of quite a bit of money to not go with the clippers and then a few days later he signs a veterans minimum deal with phoenix was this because he really wanted to play for the suns it has to be so reportedly, he had offers from other teams, including Golden State, including Houston. Golden State, and Houston. I think the Clippers and Rockets, yeah. So he had other options. Now, Houston's doing some things in free agency, including Doc Landale's going there, by the way. Four years, um, 32. Yeah, so they're putting some pieces together in Houston to try to, you know, obviously they were at the bottom of the NBA last year. They they're feel ready to, to compete, almost. Uh, maybe. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what that team ends up looking like. But he definitely didn't pick that. And then Golden State, a team that just added Chris Paul to their mix. Draymond Green's coming back. They're certainly going to be over the tax as well. They've been over the tax for a while. So he didn't pick that. I I think that's more telling to me that Eric Gordon picked the Suns over the Warriors is kind of a cool feeling because what did we talk about last week where it's nice to have all these guys, not just the superstars like Durant and Beal who want to come here, Mm -hmm. but really good guys who could probably get the mid-level exception or the biannual. And instead, they take the bare minimum to come and be a part of something special in Phoenix. That's a really cool feeling. And we agree. None of us thought that this would happen this quickly. The fact that you were able to get seven guys all on veterans minimum deals within the first three days of free agency. Yeah. Tip of the cap to James Jones. Honestly, this move with Eric Gordon is what I thought most of their moves would feel like. Yeah. Three days into free agency, somebody who realizes I'd rather take that opportunity with the Suns than look to get more money elsewhere. This is what I thought all of their deals were going to be like, except they got them all done in the first hour and a half. So let's try and figure out this rotation. What is it going to be now that they have Eric Gordon? As we mentioned, they have 15 players. Could be more, could be less. But right now they have 15 pretty solid players that could fill out this rotation. Here are the obvious ones. Devin Booker is going to start. Bradley Beal is going to start. Kevin Durant's going to start. DeAndre Ayton's going to start. Who's the fifth starter? And does it matter what position they play? Um, well, 
you first have to put it in a little bit of context. I think that they're probably going to stagger their stars, not just throughout games, but there might be days where Kevin Durant doesn't play. Sure. To try to keep him healthy. Or a day when Devin Booker doesn't play. Even I'm just talking 26. about on a general basis. Yeah. Everybody healthy. Let's talk about like day one, right? Where yeah. everybody's healthy. Everybody's expected to play on opening day. Yes. Um, here's what I would do. This is the starting lineup. Yep. Devin Booker is your point guard. I'm going to put that in air quotes. He's, he's point book. Mm-hmm. Bradley Beal's out there. We know Durant is out there. We know Aiton is out there. Who's the fifth guy I'm putting out with that lineup to start a game? It's Kata Bates Diop. Ooh. Okay. He's a long, defensive minded three. And I think you could easily replace him with Josh Akogi because he filled this role really well for the Suns last year. So it could be either one of them. But I like the idea of Kata Bates Diop being uh, out there with the guys, at least for the first couple minutes of the game. And then you can really easily draw one of those starters out. So let's say Kevin Durant goes out six minutes into the game, seven minutes into the game, just to get some rest, right? Mm-hmm. You take Kevin Durant off, you can slide Diop, Kate Bates Diop down to the four, and then you can even bring Booker and Beal down a slot and add a point guard like a campaign. You could bring a shooter out like an Eric Gordon. There's so many things you can do. But what I want on the court to start the game is I want a defensive-minded player because the buckets are already going to be there. Good point. Anything against a Koki? In no that spot. No, it could easily be him over a Kata Bates Diop. In fact, it probably should be just Kobe, because of continuity. Cons- yeah, exactly. The just because he's been around and already done it for the Suns, and clearly they liked him enough to bring him back. Um, but I do like the idea of Kata Bates Diop. I just I, he excites me a little bit more than Josh Akogi does. But they're going to be playing pretty similar roles if I had to predict. Who do you think between these two? And I get it. There's variables involved, but between these two, who comes off the bench first? Eric Gordon or campaign? Eric Gordon. Why? And the answer to that, I mean, with the signing of Eric Gordon, I've actually changed my mind on this because I thought campaign was the obvious. uh, He was really the only ball handler other than Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant that I would feel comfortable putting in there in a smaller role. Eric Gordon's the guy because he can handle the ball if he needs to. He's a decent enough distributor and he's a pure shooter. And if he can fill all three of those roles, I just don't think Campaign is the shooter, uh, the quality of shooter that you're getting in Gordon. It's streaky with Cam. Yeah. So for that reason, I think Eric Gordon's probably the first guy off the bench. Plus, he's got seniority, certainly. Sure. I think there's a reason that that he decided to come to Phoenix. And I'm guessing that they told him, listen, you're not the 13th guy on the bench. (laughs) I would hope not. You're the sixth guy. You're the seventh guy. You're going to play a significant role, especially offensively for this team. Does that mean there's still a role for campaign, though? I think there is. And like we talked about, there's really only five ball handlers on this team. You've got Beal, Booker, and Durant. Feels like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Uh, a little bit, especially when you consider a couple years ago we had like Alfred Payton running the point for this team. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, no offense to Alfred Payton, but it was just a different team. Yeah. But, um, no, I think there's definitely still a role because Campaign is still the only traditional point guard on this roster. Because Eric Gordon's more of a two. We can agree that Booker and Beal are really more of twos, traditionally speaking. But this is a team filled with superstars who are going to handle the ball the majority of the time. I wonder if at some point, campaign, because he's on a final year of his deal, and it's a very friendly contract, I wonder if at one point or another he becomes expendable to the Suns. They and I don't trade him. I don't mean that as a negative against campaign. I mean that as a positive for what this roster has essentially become. 
And maybe Frank Vogel has a different vision. He talked a lot about campaign in the Bradley Beal intro presser. That was probably also before they knew they had Eric Gordon signed. So I wonder if campaign becomes expendable at some point this season or even in this offseason. The one thing I love about campaign, uh, forget about all his struggles in the postseason and all those things. Those are still important, too. But the one thing I really like about him is he's a change of pace ball handler. Yeah, he's not necessarily the slow it down. Let's run the offense. Chris Paul type point guard which obviously was nice to have as well. But campaign is the kind of guy you put him out there and you say, all right, push the pace, run the point, run the floor. And I think campaign is just better at that than most of the guys they have on their roster. So I think there is a role for him. I'm not looking to get rid of him. You're, you're right. He might become expendable if for some reason he's not playing or much. even Eric Gordon becomes expendable. Like there's even that Maybe. factor too. But on a team like this where you are so top-heavy with stars and Bradley Beal has missed so many games in the last two years, Kevin Durant has started to miss games at his age, and Devin Booker missed some time last year, I do think we want to go into this with an expectation that some of the star players will not play certain games and that during games they're not all going to be on the floor 100% of the time together. All right, one last prediction before we move on to our next topic. What is the ceiling of wins for this season for this team? Or is it there is a floor for wins this season? Like, is there a certain number of wins that you expect this Phoenix Suns team, as it is currently constructed right now, to get to? Because I think that the floor has to be 46. So they won 45 games last season. Right. That's with only um, a month plus of Kevin Durant. Eight games. Eight games of Kevin Durant. Let's be honest with ourselves. Um, That's with all the time DeAndre Ayton missed at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. That's all the time that Devin Booker missed with, what was it, the groin injury. Uh Um, So if you had 45 with all those things factored in, I would think with the new roster you're looking 50 plus, uh, which would put you in that category of only the Grizzlies and the Nuggets last season. The Nuggets had 53 wins. The Grizzlies had 51. It was a a pretty competitive West last year. It was. And that's not to knock that the... The record that the Nuggets put together in the regular season is unworthy of the status that they achieved. It's not like the Bucks went out there and got 60 wins last year. Like, let's relax a little bit. So I think their floor is 46. And anything less than that is going to be a massive disappointment, in my opinion. Yeah, you're probably right about that. And there are going to be injuries, inevitably, uh, throughout the course of the season. They will face adversity, which is why some of these signings from the last couple days are so important. Because I do believe that some of these guys are going to play significant roles at one point or another during the regular season. All right, coming up next, all-star voting. It's done. We know who's in the game in Seattle. The Diamondbacks, they have three But a couple other guys should have made it, and they didn't. I'll tell you about that next.